welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find the Raptor Show where we listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, who has made it back to the studio in the nick of time. Dan Tolman, stop talking to your co-workers one minute before going to air. Please. Blake, I got doing, I right? got bad news for you as well uh, because... Oh, okay. I mean, it's MLK Day, obviously, so there are a lot of sports uh, going on. The 905 are in a one-possession game with 11 seconds left right now, so apologies. I may be a little distracted wow. these first few seconds. That's that's why you are not on air. You're This man is watching if the 905 can pull out against the, the Birmingham uh, squadron. Usually the Birmingham squadron, but yeah, as yeah. part of MLK Day today, the Birmingham Black Barons, which okay. is uh, cool. That's They've awesome. integrated a lot of MLK Day stuff into that game. Uh, the the Black Barons are at the free throw line right now oh. looking to steal this one. But big, You'll be shocked to learn. It's another big Marquise Noel game. Yeah. Uh, how's he doing? What's, uh, what's, how big How big is this game? I mean, this good enough. This is not how we plan to start the show, but we, we can start here, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we got to pump them up because, uh, you know, potential uh, friend of the show later this week. But Okay, potential friend of the show. Yeah, 20 and 11 right now. We'll uh, see how they close out. Actual friend of the show, Josh Hart, uh, a prince of uh, Sports Time <laughs> 590, the fan, is actually just sitting off to the camera. Uh, and sitting back and just enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, man, enjoy your day off. He, he almost had to come on air when I... No, I told him. I was like, yo, Blake doesn't come in here in the next 10 seconds. I'm going to do the throwback to the Yahoo days. Okay, so uh, obviously we didn't intend to start with Raptors 905. We also probably didn't start, intend to start with hockey. But yeah, yeah, the big on? news from the weekend is that you went to a Leaf game. You got to take That's your dad right. to the Leaf game yesterday. Uh, yes. Fill us in. How was it, man? Oh, like I said, the backstory here is uh, my dad has been a, a Leafs fan since coming to Canada in 2000. And, um, but he's never been to a Leafs game. And this is, I, I think, not too surprising considering Leafs games are a little bit unaccessible. Uh, but after telling the story on air, um, through the hockey assist that Alex was able to provide, uh, was able to get access to the game. I would totally love to shout out the person who actually helped make this happen. But nah. this person actually specifically requested not to. But in any case, I've already expressed my gratitude in person. But, yeah, that person actually took us through a tour before the game. So walked through a bunch of the private boxes. By the way, do you know they're like you have to pay 70 k to get unlimited access to the private uh, – some of the private sections – for both Leafs and I don't know if you've uh, case, but God damn, I don't know if you've seen or met me, but uh, I do not spend much time in those yeah. private booth sections. All I know is that when I walk by on the way to our media gondola, uh -huh. there's always all sorts of food, and I just wonder, like, yeah, if yeah. a slice of cake went missing off those carts, would they really so th notice? That's the 600 level, and I, okay. I doubt that that 170k. But there was one in the 200 level that they, they they brought us through, and there was like a buffet kind of section, and you can just like watch the game. And I was like, yeah, how much are these? And it's like, yeah, 70K for a year. You get access for both Leafs and Raptors. Uh, have you ever sat in a box for a game or any event before? I have, yeah, once, yeah. Okay, me too. I went, um, so LeBron, I can't really remember if it was LeBron's rookie or sophomore year, but my dad, uh, my dad worked at Toyota at the time yeah. and won like uh, two tickets to a Toyota box. So there were like a bunch okay. of people there and it was one of, it might've been only the first or second basketball game I've ever been to, but LeBron like right. dropped a 50 piece and the Raptors won. And I was sitting in a box. I don't like it took until the finals run for yeah. me to top that as a Raptors game experience. That is awesome. Cause I think my first ever Raptor game in person was like seeing Tyreek Evans drop a triple double, but I paid probably $5 for that ticket. Um, yeah, this one was not $5 to see this game, but yeah, it was actually really great. He was in a great mood. Um, I, t I took a bunch of photos. I said, um, you know, make sure to brag to your coworkers. And he's like, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So 
He is somewhere at work right now uh, showing photos to people. How does he feel about, I mean, that was a, a bad loss for them three in a row now. Yeah. Is, he, is he like a big enough fan that he was like, oh man, this losing streak, what a, what a terrible game you brought me to. No, 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 no. He, he was appreciative of the whole experience. But I mean, there were certainly frustrations uh, throughout the game because the Leafs, I believe they took a, a one nothing lead and then a 2-1 lead. They blew both. Uh, and it was actually interesting. So for me, it was also my first time going to a Leafs game. Um, and after the first goal, um, they scored. And I like stood up and clapped. And I was like, yeah, there we go. Like we took the lead, whatever. Kind of a lucky goal, to be honest. <laughs> and um, the fan behind me was like, Yo, sit down. I was like, what? After clapping for a goal? Man. And then I looked around, and whatever. We were not in, like, the 100 levels or whatever. We were, like, the 300s, like, like proper fandom kind of places. And I was looking around, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Only, like, half the people are standing up, so maybe I shouldn't be standing up. But I've never been told to stand, like, sit down after a celebrating a goal. Man, man like, and in that, guy, in that person's defense, yeah. um, you know, you're tall. You got a big so? head. You but stand up too. They after a goal, a goal yeah, yeah, you you got to uh, you got to give a, a little mm. celly there as they do. Last yeah. hockey note: uh, I am wearing a Newfoundland Growlers T-shirt. The, they're the imagine the nine hundred five had a CBL team that fed into the nine hundred five. Okay, they, yeah, yeah, they're that for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So this is their ECHL team, the Newfoundland Growlers. Um, and shout out to my pal and happy birthday to Terry Ryan, who uh -huh. at, at 47 signed a one-day contract and played for the Growlers on the weekend. That's got in a fight. That's impressive. Yeah, got in a fight too. Yeah, wow. my dad was very fired up. Like wow. my dad, my dad's a big Leaf fan as well, like yeah, yours. Yeah. But he also pays attention to the Newfoundland Growlers because they're yeah. uh, across the uh, across the bay there uh, from him, just a ferry ride away. So yeah, shout wow. out to Terry Ryan. I mean. Big respect to anybody who's 47 and still playing sports, man. That's one of the things I respect most with my dad. He's like 56, 57-ish. Should know my dad's exact age. Sorry, dad. Um, but yeah, he's still playing center midfield for Milton FC and uh, going strong for that group. Still putting in probably 10 kilometers per game. Um, but yeah, my other impression about the Leafs was just like, it's mad quiet. Like, I, I think we've complained a lot about like, Raptor games getting more quiet or whatever. Like, no, it's night and day, man. Like, the Raptor game... <laughs> Sounds like a rock concert, and uh, the Leafs game sounds like uh, I, I went to the reference library. So, um, uh, David Sis, by the way, uh, behind the glass, letting us know that Terry Ryan was actually on the Jeff Merrick show today. So, if you want to know wow. more about his one day with the Newfoundland Growlers, he's okay. also on the show Shorzy, if you've ever heard of uh, of that television show. But he was on the Merrick show today, so uh, you can listen to more of that. The 905 just lost, by the way, 108 105. Marquise Noel finishes with 20 points, 11 dimes, and I think that probably wraps up the. Weekend nonsense to, to talk about. We, yeah. we got to, I guess, uh, reheat the Raptors game from Friday because they didn't play Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Makes for an awkward show uh, Monday. Um, that was obviously uh, a big day for the show mm -hmm. and uh, a fun night after the show. I was, I was uh, still like 20% well. lit for that uh, recap. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Raptors lose. It's a very, very poor defensive uh -huh. showing on the last game of a road trip against Big Shotgun Laurie Markinen and a Utah Jazz team that the very next night – uh, won another really impressive game. They've now gone, what is it, 14-4 over their last 18. Wow. Uh, yeah. They won on the second night of a back-to-back -back against the Lakers after beating mm -hmm. the Raptors. And, and earlier that week had won in Philly, in Milwaukee, and at home against Denver. So, in a row. Yeah. Like, not, not like this is just like a coincidence. Like, yeah, they've been on an incredible tip. Honestly, like, I'm curious to hear from your perspective. But for me, whatever, we've seen the Raptors give up a bunch of points. The defense we'll talk about in a second. Um but was that the most impressive opposing team performance you've seen against the Raptors this season? Because to me, it probably was. Like relative to expectations and record and things like that, I think. No, I but think just it even quality of execution as a team, like 
Yeah, yeah. The only other one that comes to mind, and it wasn't really the same style, but like Portland played by far their best game of the year yeah. against the Raptors. Yeah. But that was in retrospect probably a warning sign about the Raptors more than sure. an encouraging sign. About, but like Portland will look back at that, and that's their signature game of the season, yeah, as sad as that is probably. I think but yeah. Aiden had like 17, 18 rebounds. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Utah shot 56% in that one, 49% on threes. They got to the line a ton. They controlled the glass at both mm-hmm. ends of the floor. They really didn't turn over the ball a ton, which is kind of a Larry Markin and special, even though he had a couple there. And yeah, they kind of, their starters beat the brakes off the Raptors starters. Their bench unit beat the brakes off the Raptors bench unit. <laughs> their third um, unit was good. <laughs> yeah. What What do you make? Uh, I get it's uh, just, it's just two games that we've yeah. seen them. But a pretty good 17-point comeback against the Raptors in Toronto. Mm. And now this, like, buzzer-to-buzzer steamrolling of the Raptors. In addition to just the execution, Will Hardy, pre- pretty good coaching job with this group as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not like you look at the roster and you're like, okay, I'm going I'm to start Simeone Fontecchio as my three. I'm going to go with John Collins as my starting five. I'm going to switch and play a ton of zone with this group. Uh, and then I'm going to go start Chris Dunn as well. And now, that's something I ha- would do and would have done over the last like okay. eight years, starting Chris Dunn. But yeah, Fontecchio is normally like a, a mid middle back, no, not, but- a, not a starting small forward. No, I mean, it was it was actually uh, like incredible watching him like just splash two threes in the corners yeah. to start the third quarter and just attacking closeouts. And he's strong. But the way they execute as a team, just the off-ball actions, I was so impressed by it. Like, I mean, you have a weapon like Laurie Markkinen, of course, you know, you, it opens up a lot of options for you. But the fact that they have this, like, 6-11 guy who's just coming off of off-ball screens and either has an option to cut back dwarf to catch a lob for a dunk or cut, uh, lift to the top to catch for two for three, like, they just kept constantly running actions late into the shot clock, getting great possessions. And, of course, the, you're, you're used to playing this, like, okay, I'm, I need to guard everything on the floor type of team basketball. And then Jordan Clarkson comes in, and it's the total opposite approach, a complete <laughs> changeup. Now you got to guard a guy who's going to shoot no matter what. And, yeah, I mean, they just kicked the Raptors uh, behind, like, on every aspect of the game. And I think what you're saying about all the off-ball movement, all the different ways to get guys involved, that's kind of, you know, I, I dove into what's made Laurie Markkinen's season so good uh, on the pregame show. That's why I had to leave Alex's event a, a little early and come back to the studio. Mm. And one of the most fascinating things is Markkinen is – the only forward in the league who hits even close to his thresholds for two-point percentage, three-point percentage, free-throw percentage, not turning the ball over and things like that. But if you were going to come up with a knock against him, it's that, well, he doesn't really create for others. He averages fewer than two assists a game. And so many of his buckets, as far as a star-level scorer goes, he has way more of his buckets assisted for him mm. than a, nor- a a traditional like top-scoring-level all-star. And I think you see why in a game like that. It's like, yeah, he doesn't need to because... The, yeah, he that offense needs him to be an elite, elite three-level play finisher, mm-hmm. but they can create those advantages for him, get him in his spots, even though, like you said, the point guard play here is like Chris Dunn, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Keontae George, who mm-hmm. is nice but had a kind of a, a rough one in that one, and everything still flowed really well. Yeah. Um, defensively, two totally yeah. different teams defensively. The Raptors just couldn't guard them whatsoever. Uh, the Jazz actually did an amazing job of keeping the Raptors out of the paint. And so I want to ask you about this because something worth tracking. Raptors have played seven games since the trade of OG Anobi. In those seven games, the Raptors are 28th in the NBA in defensive rating. The only two teams worse are Detroit at 29, which is a bit of a surprise that they're not the worst. Golden State at 30th, <laughs> which, I mean, they don't have Draymond, I suppose. But also, we, we, we saw what Golden State looked like. The Raptors, like, beat them so easily. Uh, Raptors 28th in defensive rating since the trade. On the flip side, the Knicks are actually number one in defense over the last seven yeah. games with OG in the lineup. But in any case, um, 
your thoughts about the Raptors being this bad defensively. Yeah, it was the biggest concern of not only the the trade when you trade out OG Ananobi, who's your best individual defender. Um, you know, we talked about, okay, this team had already started to slide on defense, even with OG Ananobi and with Scotty Barnes. You know, that this also fundamentally changes Scotty Barnes' role, where mm-hmm. OG Ananobi was Mr. Versatility, who would guard whoever the top scorer is in the opposing team, whatever the position, and that allowed Scotty to kind of stay in that lower third of the floor, create havoc that way. He's been so, so good defensively like that. Well, now you've not only lost OG, you've had to pull Scotty up from that backline role to the main point of attack guy, and he's guarding all sorts of different players night to night. And there's no Scotty Barnes backfill mm. for that role, right? Like, there's nobody in there. You've also... Yes, you've lost Yaka Pertle at the same time, and Jonte Porter is trying defensively. The results haven't been that great. He he looks okay, eye test-wise, about where I expected him to yeah. be. But this was a guy who, with the 905, they were putting power forwards guarding the pick-and-roll against tougher pick-and-roll combinations and letting Jonte Porter stay in the weak side corner and yeah. help out of there and, and crash as a defensive rebounder or, or help side chop blocker or whatever. He is not expected to be certainly not at this stage and maybe ever like a top line pick and roll defender. So now you've taken, um, I mean, your guards are already a little weaker in terms of point of attack defense. Now you've taken your best and most versatile uh, perimeter defender in OG Ananobi, lost him, asked Scotty Barnes to do that role, which he's done pretty admirably, but he's, you know, nobody is OG in terms of that role. And then you've lost the Scotty role by Mm. moving him. So it's just kind of this cascade and it gets, you know, it feels heavy once you consider that even before losing OG, they were already a pretty bad defense over the last couple weeks. So this is one where, you know, when we talked last week about all the optimism we have here with the offense and everything that looks good, I did kind of pour cold water on. I was like, defensively though, this is going to be a question mark. And they're down to 21st, 21st, I almost said. Yeah, that's fine. 21st overall on the entire season now. So this isn't, this is more extreme lately, but they haven't been a good defensive team since the first couple weeks of the season. So it's interesting to me because you clearly see Scotty f- stepping up to fill OG's role. Um, and he's doing an admirable job with that. Who's actually going to help take up Scotty's former role as that helper? And to me, looking at all the options in the starting group, that needs to be Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. But Pascal, I don't even think his individual defense has been particularly strong. But his help defense is not really there. And I think this is something that, for me, I would love to see. Because before Scotty came around, that was Pascal's role. OG was obviously always the guy guarding the toughest assignments. And then Pascal was the roamer and the helper. Sometimes he would even play five. And of course, if you're playing five, you're always going to need to help. But that's who needs to step up for Scotty's role. And I just haven't seen that in the slightest. And, and we've saw Pascal, look, he's had a tremendous season overall. He's been very, very good offensively. Mm-hmm. He's changed his role a million times yeah, for this yeah, team. Yeah, sure. But defensively, it hasn't been there for the most part this year. Like I I would say he's probably been average defensively, which is a lot lower than the level we've come to expect from him. And there have been nights where he's certainly below average. So um, I I do think that's a problem. And I think you're right because there are two ways we could answer what we're talking about here. And one is Pascal to play in that Scotty role on the back end. And no, he doesn't have the vertical bounce that Scotty does. He's not going to, he's not going to block shots the way Scotty does. Nobody on this roster is going to, but you could ask him to play a role he's played before and, and do that. Or, you could keep Scotty in that role and ask Pascal to pick up more of the slack at the point of attack. And if you remember back to not the most recent Cavs game, but the one prior mm-hmm. when OG shut off Donovan Mitchell, but Garland went off late in the game. Yeah. And we discussed after that game, 
well, what about Scotty? Like Scotty Barnes stayed on Garland down the stretch there, and Pascal was kind of off the ball on Mobley. Would you have switched those? And we kind of kicked it around like, well, Pascal on Garland, you know, maybe that suits Pascal a little bit more, keeps Scotty in the help role. So that's the other way they could utilize Pascal to help with the defense now. Okay, but okay. I don't think his point of attack defense has been as good as we're used to. I do also think, and I know you. He's you, been weirdly okay on guards, though. Like, yeah, I feel like there were some good I, possessions I think he's he had. better against. suited to that than. Fox, Jaw. Even Malik Steph, they, yeah. like Scotty had yeah. the main assignment on on yeah. on Steph, but when Scotty was off the floor, it was Pascal doing the same kind of thing, using the length for the top locking and to drive him into help. Um, so I, I guess you could use Pascal that way and move Scotty back into the other role. But I know there was a quote from Darko Ryakovich at practice on Sunday that caught your ear in terms of Scotty's um, use deployment in mm-hmm. that role. What did you make of that? Well, if you could fill us in on Darko's comments and yeah. what you made of that as it pertains to Scotty's defense. So the Raptors practice yesterday, so. And, um, Aaron Rose asked both Darko and Scotty about the new role where he's taking out for OG as the stopper. And Darko's answer was Scotty loves it. Scotty loves as part of his development, as part of a challenge, is that, you know, for him to grow into the next level, he needs to do this kind of thing. And so he's sort of building around A, there's enthusiasm, and B, this is something that, uh, you know, is going to be good for him long term. You can all, you can basically tell me any strategy if you tell me it's good for Scotty long term. Scotty Barnes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. He's going to be the face of the league. Uh, And then Scotty was asked about it too. And and Scotty did kind of like let it slip that it was like, yes, it's it's very tiring. I mean, you don't need to let it slip. Everyone knows that it's tiring. Um, But yeah, I mean, he, he, this is what he talked about too, about coming into the league that he always taught himself as a, as a strong defender and he really wanted to relish that challenge. So we might also just be seeing the growing pains of that. Mm-hmm. But the the point isn't necessarily about, you know, what role Scotty is in so much as what's the balance that's going to help for the rest of the team. And I do feel like somebody has to step up for Scotty's role as that helper. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know who that is going... Like, theoretically... Scotty's on-ball defense has been mostly fine. Yeah. I, I haven't really complained about No, this about isn't that. a Scotty problem. It's a only having one Scotty problem. Yeah, So, sure, you know, yeah. there are a couple areas... Like, getting Jakob Pertl back eventually would stabilize some of, of the pick-and-roll defense part. a little yep. bit. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Dennis Schroeder has to be better at the point of attack in, in pick-and-roll. R.J. Barrett, Gary Trent, whoever it is, Quickly's been solid. But Quickly, even still, I, I like Quickly's defense overall. But it looks like but, they're trying to hide him, man. And it's also like he's very good in in a similar way to we're talking about Scotty at point of attack versus Scotty, you know, off-ball as a, as a helper and kind of a chaos creator. Quickly's very, very good in team defense situations, scramble situation, help him recover situations. But at the actual point of attack and pick and roll isn't quite as strong as those other skills for him. So you've got a handful of guards who maybe aren't doing the best job or require some like tactical concessions mm. in pick and roll. Okay. So those guys could step up. Pascal could step up in that Siakam role a little bit more. One of these bench guys who's getting an opportunity, and I don't think it'll be Jonte Porter because he's more of a drop style center. But if you're Boucher or McDaniels and you're fighting for those minutes and you're getting an eight minute window and trying to make your impact felt, that's got to come defensively because like Boucher obviously crashes the glass, does a lot in transition. We we like Chris, but McDaniels is here and got a two-year deal because they like the defense and we're hoping they could massage the offense enough Mm -hmm. to be playable. We haven't really seen him make that defensive impact really either. So some, you know, no one's going to step up into 35 minutes of that Scotty role, but if you could get a couple guys giving you a couple more good minutes, um, but right now it's been kind of a, a whiff on that around, around the board. Yeah. Um, a bit of a worrying stat here, too. Um, so the Raptors have allowed 130 or more points to their opponent five times already this season. 
We're not even through half the year, by the way. We're close to the halfway part yeah. of the year, but you know, through less than half the season, the Raptors have already allowed 130 or more five times. Last season, for the entire 82, they only did it three times. 2022, the year they won 48 games, allowed it twice. Even in the Tampa season, they only allowed it twice. And then once in 2020, once in 2019. So the fact that they've already done it five times, like they're like on pace to do it 10 times. That's a lot of times. Yeah, it's, it is a lot of time. And, like, look. And it, part of it is, of course, the league is trending in the right direction, like yes. in this offensive, you know, path and whatever. But Offensive rating is at an all-time high league-wide, and that's – so offensive rating controls for pace. We're talking per mm. per 100 possessions. So not only is the league playing at a bit of a faster pace right now, um, not historically fast, but certainly faster than the last few years and that what we're accustomed to, yeah. but also on a per-possession basis, it's the highest it's ever been. So yeah. you're going to see a lot of these stats. Like, the Pacers put up 150 every night, it feels like. Even with Tyrese Halliburton – hurt they're putting Mm -hmm. up numbers close to that but it's troubling because i think you know 130 ish is a number where you're just like like you can't i don't care what pace the game is or how good your offense is you can't see 130 on the other side and be any level of confident you can win that game like you're like okay well we must have gotten red hot shooting it was also friday night was the third most points they've allowed ever in the history of the franchise yeah yeah you know how bad some of the teams in this franchise's history have been? Yes, yes, exactly. So, uh, I, I don't know how they fix it, but they, they absolutely need to fix it if they have any chance of being competitive. Okay, but, um, so um, this game ended 145-113. Mm-hmm. That final Jazz total got padded a little bit by some garbage time. Where, I don't know, man. They were, they were beating us at regular time, too. I'm going – they were. But yeah. there was um, there was about eight minutes of garbage time where they, they expanded the lead by eight more points. And I, I pivot to us there mm-hmm. because Grady Dick played all eight of those minutes. He actually yeah. played 12 minutes in this game. He went 0 for 3. He missed both of his twos. Uh, did have a pair of assists, uh, but none of the shots dropped. He's got a zero on the points total. So Grady Dick, I thought – would go back down with the 905 after this one. The 905 uh, today played game two of a three-game, five-day road trip. Instead, the Raptors have decided to keep Grady Dick up with them. He'll be um, with them tonight. He's questionable, actually, with a thumb sprain. Um, but what do you what do you make of this? Grady Dick not only being a part of that game on the fringe of the rotation, but not mm-hmm. going back down there to the 905 uh, immediately after. I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. I think he needs to play more and more time with a 905. And whether that's rediscovering his shot, whether that's getting his confidence, whether that's adjusting the physicality, he needs to spend a lot of time there. Like, there's not much that he's... Like, I'm going to be completely honest about it. There's nothing that he's providing to the Raptors for the big club. Like, in a, in a winning and losing kind of context, there's I asked nothing you Friday, there. do you care that he's up? And you said no. And like, I, I don't think either yeah. of us thought he was going to get minutes, and then that game was just so out of hand. Yeah, and, and that's not me, like dismissing him as a prospect like i think this whole conversation needs to be divorced from that idea like we could put that caveat on the top of it and then we could just speak freely about this um but he is not providing anything on at at an nba like level right now towards actual winning so that's why he needs to be prioritized in his development and that's why he should spend as much time with the 905 but blake i want to ask you like there was clearly a little bit of expectation that grady can come in and contribute again going back to that bobby Bobby quotes yeah on draft night about you know, it's, it's going to be up to the coaches, but we do feel like, you know, there might be an opportunity for him to, you know, come in and knock down some few shots. That's been the biggest problem. I, I don't think there's, like, that many complaints about, you know, okay, he's not rebounding amazing or he's not playmaking amazing or even his defense is, like, you know, not strong, but, you know, we kind of knew that. But the one thing he was billed to do, which was to come in and knock down shots, you know, the sample was small for sure. 
but both in the G League and at the NBA level, he's shooting in the 20s from three. What are you seeing from Grady? Like, is is the shot just completely gone? What is it? Yeah, we're at 118 three-point attempts between the NBA yeah. and the G League. And and you, need, you need something like 700 three-point attempts for it to stabilize, okay, right. but it's not good. Yeah. Um, and, like, look, the eye test matches that. Like, I think the early chunk of his NBA time, you at least saw him still trying to get those shots off, and they just weren't dropping or whatever. But And he denies this, but I think you saw a little bit of the confidence. How could the confidence not decrease? It's yeah, the first course. time since you were a literal child that your shot's gone away or hasn't been dropping. And some of it might be the NBA three-point line, the length and speed guys close out on you. Like, we saw him before you went down to the G League. There was a lot of, like hesitation and a pump fake where maybe you didn't need a pump mm-hmm. fake. And then after the pump fake, you're either rushing the sidestep or traveling when you, you go into the next, or you let that floater off. You don't travel and you, you get into floater range and you rush it and get it off maybe three feet further away than you need to, because that NBA length is in your head now. And it took honestly a long time for him in the G league. Like he's played 10 G league games this year, which is exactly where I set the over under for you and Alex mm-hmm. at the start of the season. I can't remember if it was nine and a half or 10 and a half, yeah. but that's where I put the number for him on the season. He's already there. And look, the last couple games he had with the nine Oh five were trending in the right direction. But I tweeted this out when he got called up, they have trended in the right direction, but not to the point where I think he can give you NBA minutes right now. And I think that, you know, uh, you are running a little bit of a risk. Look, at some point this year, you're going to need to see what he can look like in NBA minutes. I think you're running a little bit of the risk undercutting the work you're trying to do in the 905. If he's coming up and not playing, and then he's seeing four minutes of spot duty, and if a shot or two doesn't go down there, and then you're only playing garbage time otherwise, I think you're running a risk of, you know, again, undercutting what you're trying to accomplish in the G League, even though it's not like he's been, you know, going off in the G League either. He's just like, he's been a little more solid and a little steadier. And the last two of the last three games before he got called up, the shots were dropping. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think he needs to be down there more. I I don't know what he does for this team as a 12th man type right now that wouldn't be worth trading in for, hey, maybe come March, Mm -hmm. he can be something because he's getting the reps down there. Yeah. So um, let me, let me give you a little player, player B Uh stat lines. Okay. Player A, this is G league numbers. Player A in the G League at age 20, 16.7 points, 5.7 rebounds, 2.0 assists in 34 minutes per game, shooting 47% from the field and 25% from three. Okay. Okay. That's player A and age 20 in the G League. Player B, age 20 in the G League, 14.7 points, 6.5 rebounds, 1.7 assists in 34 minutes per game on 40% from the field and 34% from three. Hmm. So am I just picking between those? No, no, I just, oh. I mean, I, there's not much to pick from. Honestly, that's... Does player B norm? No. Oh. Well, player A is obviously great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about it. Player B is Bruno. Okay, as a, in his second year. In his second year. Okay. Yeah, as a 20-year. Because we, yeah, we got to compare age-wise. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that he's Bruno. There's no way that he's, he's Bruno. Bruno came in with such unique circumstances. I don't think that. I think what it suggests to me is that these are the two youngest prospects that's, that the Raptors have ever brought in. I think Scotty was maybe one year older than Grady. If was he? Was he a year older than Grady? Yeah, yeah, ish, like six months or something like that. Yeah, Grady yeah. was like the youngest guy in his draft class. Well, think, e- right? even if you just look at physical development, like yeah, Scotty I mean, came that's in a better like, indicator, fully probably. ready to play, and and Grady is like, all right, like he's going to take a little bit of work. Um, but yeah, in terms of just like green to the league, it mm-hmm. feels like it's been in in Masai's tenure at least. It's been Grady and then Bruno. And, of course, like, Bruno's such an exceptional case. My point is not to say that he's Bruno. This is a ridiculous thing. What I'm trying to say is that 
he is so young and there are so many things I need to teach him that, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to write off this year in terms of production for the big club. It's going to have to be just pure development. I don't even know if you need to write off the whole year because, like, like I just looked up no, Norm's what's stats. Magic, what's magic going to change? I, I just – I don't think you need that much – runway to like figure something and like who knows it maybe he goes down and he has a game where he's like five to six on threes and, and you know suddenly that's not going to fix everything but the confidence comes back around he's shooting a little more like okay, okay. norm only spent eight games with the night like brady has mm-hmm. already played more than more than norm there more than Jakob there uh more than pascal did there um until you know playoff yeah. time when they were just like yo let's get let's get blake a <laughs> uh, uh, knockoff ring to g- eventually go with his knockoff raptors ring nice. um by the way norm shot 33% on threes is uh obviously he scored way more than than yeah, grady yeah. or bruno but uh percentages wise um that was something that still wasn't there yet for him uh-huh. he needed the nba sample to kind of take off on it um yeah i i just it, whether it's later this year or future mm-hmm. years i just don't see we've seen too many examples of, of what works and what doesn't work with guys going up and down from the g league to think that like three, four minutes of garbage time versus 30 minutes in the G League is a worthwhile trade-off. And I got it, you know, the games where they only had nine or 10 guys, Garrett Temple's playing real minutes. If you wanted to give those to Grady in a situation like that, I, I, mean, I, I would, suppose, I would but, understand it. But product, productivity-wise, I'm, I'm absolutely serious that Garrett Temple would be a better option. C- certainly. Yeah. But if you wanted to say like, hey, Garrett Temple's not a part of the future, we may, we'll take it yeah, on the yeah, chin yeah. And, okay. and we'll let Grady have those minutes. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about he got in that Jazz game because it was a blow and that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been nice if they also passed to him a little bit too because if like he was just like standing around and I'm like, oh, Grady's in the game. There's a reason to watch this fourth quarter in the last seven minutes, but then, then he never actually got the ball either. Yeah. Um, anyway, look, uh, uh, there's obviously a lot of concern after you draft a player. It's like, okay, how are the rest of the peers doing, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you this because in that same range, Jordan Hawkins won 14, right? He just had 34 over mm-hmm. the weekend. Not like he's up and down all season, but I mean, still 34 is 34. Uh, Ahmed Hawkins Jr. went later. Brandon Pajemski went later. Keontae George went later. Cam Whitmore went later. Uh, Cubby Bufkin, who is maybe untouchable in trades. I love how many people are untouchable a yeah. month before the trade. Though. Like, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see who's touching what. And like, look, that th- point, that's but. a that's a good list of names, and you can understand yeah. some of why they didn't like Hawkes. A lot of teams pass on. I, a lot of teams that I spoke to or NBA people I spoke to. People were very confident Hawkes was going to be an NBA rotation player, yeah. but was what he looked like day one the upside? But and, and so but if you're a team that, like the Miami Heat, if Hamid Hawkes went to free agency next year, what's he getting? Like at the end of the season, the mid level, just the mid level. I mean, I'm as we're okay. talking about where we've got three months of watching the guy, but like potentially even okay, more. Fine. He's he's already at a. You always got to worry about a guy leaving the Miami Heat. You do have to worry about that to some extent, but honestly, Hamid Hawkes to me is yeah. just just really really good overall. But I'm like, saying that if, if that Brady's was going the to free agency right now, like after this season, he's getting that Sfima Hailuk. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's already a big, big difference. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that that yeah. was the book on Hawkes at, at draft okay. time. And then, you know, Keontae George and, and Kobe Bufkin were in the mix with, with Grady Dick. Bufkin mm-hmm. has missed most of the season hurt, but he's been electric for College Park since, yeah, yeah, yeah. since he came back from injury. Um, Whitmore is the one that you can understand, even though he's a nice prospect. There was a lot of injury red tape on him. Yeah, okay. But he either healthy, way, yeah. like in a redraft right now, no, very few NBA front offices are going to overreact to the first couple months of a guy's career on a four-year contract. But I don't think, like Grady Dick was outside of the top four picks, the only person who was consensus ranked top 20 in this draft class across like the mm. Vecinis and Javonis yeah. and yeah. Jeremy Woos and people like that. Yeah. He was the, like this draft was so wide open. He was the only other guy who was a consensus top 20. Mm-hmm. 
this isn't just a Raptors whiff if this ends up being a whiff. Like, everyone thought at least the shot would translate. No, of course. And again, like, nobody's this whole conversation, going back to the context that we, we put onto this, is yeah. like not it's that right you're now. out on. But it's sort of just like, long-term-wise, he needs to find the three-point shot or else this is going to look really, really tough. Especially with other players in this range. Because it's not like the whole draft was a brick. Like, there's like six or seven guys that we're taking right after that I think a lot of people would be really happy about right now. But I'm, my personal hope for Grady is just... He's able to use the G League time productively. He's able to find the range on the three-point shot. I do feel like a little bit, there is a bit of a forward motion with his shot. He's not Chris Boucher slinging the ball, you know, but if there is some sort of forward, like forward sling motion in the shot, it's going to be a little bit difficult to, you know, vary and adjust and shooting on, off the, uh, off like movement. Cause you, you can kind of like time it based on what spots you're on the floor. But if you're always flinging the ball a little bit and you're moving and you're like, Having to adjust is just too many moving parts for me. Even again, like even looking at some of the no analytics of like watching him shoot a practice, it's not as consistent as you would see from like a, a guy like Gary. Gary like will give you like consistent like lines straight down the mm-hmm. middle on the greens, all three greens. Like you do see like inconsistency there. That's fine. It's just use this year to like just take it, develop it, and just get back to a point where next season, if there's if if there's some ability to come in and contribute, because there is a huge spot for Grady to take up, and I still yeah. very much believe in his abilities. It's just that, yeah, I mean, so far it just looks to be like he's not ready yet for year one. That's that's not the first time that's happened to a rookie either. Six game Raptors nine hundred five homestand begins Saturday. I would Play hope he's six. there at, at most of those. Uh, you yeah. want to take a break and talk to Lewis? Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to take our first break of the day. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Ben Luke. To be joined by Blake Murphy co-host of the Raptors show and we are joined by a third Raptors public um member we're like a gang at this point Louis Aspen what's going on man you all right I'm wonderful I'm wonderful uh yeah yeah we uh we swamp Raptors media it's true we're everywhere <laughs> we really thanks do. for having me on guys anytime anytime we got to come up with like a like a I don't know like a sign or something you know so maybe we'll I don't know how that. to make an R with my fingers we should, we just we take the Rough Riders logo and yeah, yeah. and we'll all get changed. All right, we'll talk to Zarrar about that. Yeah. Make some more merch. Still need my RR merch, by the way. I'd love to wear that on air. All right, um, we wanted to start this discussion by talking about Scotty Barnes because, as people know, today is uh, the votes are triple, so we have not yet done like a full Scotty Barnes propaganda segment, but I kind of want to because you know today the votes are worth triple, and also I think you know in terms of bright spots for the season, Scotty's jump has been that bright spot. So, um, Lewis, I'll start with you. Most likely, he's not going to be voted into the All-Star game, um, but there's a chance he makes it as a reserve. Just in terms of quality of play for you, is he an All-Star for you in the Eastern Conference? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, you know, th- I think there's a lot more to the argument, but just right off the top, without a doubt, yes. Okay, without a doubt, yes. So, to, to, to frame the conversation, at least the basic box score numbers have Scotty at 20 port. 20.4 points per game, 8.4 rebounds, 5.7 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.5 blocks. His slashing line is 48% uh, from the field overall, 38 from three, 74 uh, from the foul line. His uh, 
Advanced metrics are really, really good. Yeah, if you if you care about floor. such things, yeah. So dunks and threes, which has EPM, which is my favorite catch-all. Uh, and this would be aware of the fact that the Raptors have not been very good as a team. He's still ninth in the Eastern Conference in estimated wins added. So mm. again, I know people don't really care about those kind of metrics. But if you do, those back up the counting stats that we're seeing as well as the eye test. There you go. So, um, and yeah, for the All-Star game, you would have six front court, six or four back court, and then two all card spots um for me in terms of locks for the front court like we're just talking locks not not guys worthy front court locks are Giannis and b tatum for me after that you would need to have a little bit of a discussion i'll probably say yes to a lot of those other guys but three of them are spoken for backcourt is actually quite crowded halliburton damian lillard donovan mitchell tyrese maxi they should all be on the all-star team and that's leaving out brunson who i'm giving the one of the wild card spots to automatically so essentially we're talking about like four spots that scotty could be in a contention for um you know, guys in that range, Mikel Bridges, uh, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner. I might be leaving other people out. Did you mention Christoph Porzingis? Christoph Porzingis, yes. There okay. you go. Right, that's that's a good one. So It's yeah. not. I feel gross about it, but you, we, we know how these things go, the and there will be a handful of Celtics in this thing. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Lewis, I, I wanted to ask you, what what what, what is Scotty doing that's like stand out above the likes of Bridges, Brown, Adebayo, Randall, Bancaro, Wagner, and Porzingis. Yeah, so uh, so I did, you know, some quick math. Uh, over the past five years, uh, 50 shooting guards, small forwards, or power forwards have made the All-Star game. Um, so, you know, about 10 a year. Uh, and then, but of those 50, uh, only six have come from losing, or teams that did not make the playoffs. Okay. Um, so you're looking at about one guy a year. Um, at shooting guard, small forward, or power forward, who is an all-star, doesn't make the playoffs. Um, but if you compare Barnes to the history of those six, uh, you're looking at Brandon Ingram, Devin Booker in 1920, um, Zach Levine, Sabonis in 2021, uh, and Zion, and then last year was Laurie Markkinen. Um, I think Barnes is having a better year than any of those guys by you know pretty wide margin mm -hmm. uh, if you look at advanced stats. Um so you said, what is he doing? It's like everything, right? He does everything for the Raptors. He is their second best shooter now. He creates advantages. He finishes them. He is one of their best defenders, maybe the best now. He he just like, he does everything. Mm. And that's pretty much, a you know, a normal all-star is a guy on a middling team, slightly below average, who just does everything, fills up all the stats uh, it's a normal all-star case, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think it's way above guys who are like the third best player on good teams or, you know, um, one of four good guys on a good team. Uh, yeah, I, I think Barnes is, for me, above uh, guys like Jalen Brown, Paolo Bencaro, um, Franz Wagner, even though, and the advanced stats say that as well. You know, he is uh, pretty high above guys lo like that. Like I'll ask you Scotty Barnes there is going to be all-star by the way, I think Darko has already made the case for us, but uh, Blake, yeah. I'd love to hear you do an impersonation of that. I'm not going to do <laughs> that. Um, what I will say is, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a lot in there with, with what Lewis is saying. Um, the, these things tend to come down to there are 10 or 12 guys for five or six spots. And, you know, yeah. I, I know everyone pushes back every year. There's always like a list of snubs. And then it's like, well, who would you take off? Mm. It, it gets difficult to that. And I'm you know, I'm going to kind of kick this back to you guys and I'll start with Lewis. There is also an element to this where, you know, defense probably doesn't matter for all-star voting. It probably helps if you're a, a, if you have a two-way reputation, 
but the role that Scotty Barnes plays defensively versus someone like, you know, certainly a Julius Randle, either of the big forwards in Orlando, um, you know, someone like a Trey Young, if he's in the mix or whatever, the, the load on Scotty defensively is, uh, is much larger there. And um, Lewis, does that factor in for you at all? And I guess projecting ahead to what other people think, um, like, do you think it matters? I think highlights matter. Okay. Defensive highlights matter more than defense. And the dude gets blocks. Um, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, Canada is not a particularly um, um, watchable market. Like, it's it's harder for, for fans of other teams, even media of other teams, to watch the Raptors uh, play. But coaches do. And I think, in general, you know, when you watch Barnes highlights, you're going to see unbelievable above the rim like even at the top of the box blocks Mm -hmm. so yeah you know Barnes does more than Julius Randle on the defensive end more than Franz Wagner but uh, that doesn't matter I don't think it needs to matter for Barnes case though Mm. you know what's been um, unique about watching Scotty like he's he's at 1.5 blocks per game which Mm -hmm. is just uh, for a wing is is like absurd Um, he blocks like a variety of different shots in a variety of different ways like there was the first play of the jazz game where he rotated out to the corner and he like blocked the shot even before the guy was able to get the ball out of his hands like you can see some block threes like the infamous uh zion block three when he was at duke where the guy was shooting out the corner and he like jumped so high and he blocked it out of midair it felt like he blocked it out of like 12 feet midair like a chris boucher block yeah for, for threes right yeah scotty like timed the rotation so well, he blocked it in his hand like, that was how well that rotation is. Or, like, he'll sometimes do things where, okay, a guy beats him. Sometimes it almost feels like he almost is okay with letting a guy get, like, a half step on him, trying to get downhill, and then he jumps up and he he, he volleyball tips it out of bounds. I mean, that's a that's a real strategy yeah. if you're guarding in pick and roll or you yeah. lose a guy off an off ball, off a pin down or something like that is, is it worth it to risk fouling on the floor to try to get back in position, but you're not in a good – you're only in – ground position you're not in a position to contest versus just kind of letting them get the edge and trying to block it from behind it's a yeah. it's a reasonable strategy there's like the type of blocks that he gets where a guy's trying to go one-on-one against him and pull up he blocks those he had the uh, i think yep. i can't remember if his clippers in another game but he had like a double jump double block the other day where yep. he like jumped up contested and blocked the shot and then someone went up with the offensive rebound and he was on a, a second game. jump yeah yeah that was a laker game ridiculous he's he's got the help side blocks as well so uh, to me it's just like in terms of diversity of the type of shots that he's blocking is also really unique. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think on the offensive end, that's probably where most players get their most all-star votes is by putting up these huge numbers. You could put it on NBA Central, <laughs> and it will be redistributed everywhere. You don't even have to watch the game no more because you see a good uh, box stat line. Um, on that front, on the counting numbers, I think, to me, it's been it's been really interesting to watch his jump offensively as well because – you know, coming into the season, one of our concerns was not even concerns. We just had a discussion. Can Scotty averaged over 20 a game this year? Mm-hmm. And he has been. Like the whole season, he's, he's been above that mark. He's not the number one option, which may cut down on some of the scoring. However, he finds ways to score in a variety of ways. And, of course, most importantly, he takes over in the fourth quarter, which always adds to the impact of watching those uh, the points being scored. Like I wanted to ask you, like, offensively, just that, just on that end, because I think defensively he's absolutely a top you know, mm-hmm. 12 player in the, in the conference offensively, is, is he an all-star for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he is. Like, I would have him on my ballot if I had one right now. I think where 
you know, optically or when you're comparing stat lines or, or just even the, the feel around the league with some of these is like, yeah, he probably defers to others or looks to create for others more than someone in his position might. So you're, you're leaving a couple points per game on, on the table on a team that until recently didn't have very much shooting to take advantage of your passing. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as a criticism of him. It's better for the team. It's better for getting Barrett and, and quickly, uh, you know, in, into the flow and things like that. But yeah, there's a reason that there are only a handful. You, Lewis, you use the about one per year all-star that, that fits these certain criteria. There's about one all-NBA guy a year, too, that has a sub-25% usage rate. It's fair. It's it's not impossible. It happens. But it doesn't happen all that often because people tend to look at scoring first. So um, I think the versatility in the offensive skill set here is really, really strong. I think it's a huge credit to Scotty that he could probably push his usage rate as high as he wants and no one would blink at it and the counting stats would be a little higher, but that's not the way he plays ball. And that's not the way I, I don't think that's the way he thinks about or enjoys basketball. But I, I think even acknowledging that, you know, 28 and six with the blocks and steals with 38% on threes this year, with all the underlying metrics, um, you know, worth noting too his usage percentage even though it's not superstar level, it's up like four percentage points this year. And his true shooting percentage has gone through the roof. He's been way more efficient in a heavier role too. I just, there are not a lot of ways you could chop it up where I don't think Scotty's an all-star. I think the only thing is the team record. And I think that knowing and talking to coaches over the years about how they vote, I would probably lean toward, I don't think he's going to get in right now, even though I, I do think he deserves it because coaches look at the standing sheet and they go down the standings like that. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. the other thing is points per game, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's just at 20, which is like 20 something in the conference. Um, But the other guys who are higher than him are in general just 22, 21. Like there's a huge number of guys averaging between 20 and 24. And it's really not a lot at 25 and above. So I actually don't think, you know, you mentioned just like you don't need to watch the game. You can just look at you know, those aggregator accounts. I think the points per game doesn't actually hurt him. And he's just, he's so high above everyone else, you know, and assists and rebounds and stocks and all that. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, Blake. Um, it's also just like, as far as highlights go, I know I keep getting into this. Who has a better highlight mix than Scotty this year? Anyone in the East? Maybe Giannis? Yeah, I mean, Maxi, Maxi, but uh, a lot of it's like, if you weren't paying attention to Maxi earlier in the year, Halliburton with the jump passes, but yeah, Halliburton. Halliburton's like his own all-star class yeah. anyway, by the way, because the the game is in Indy and I'm pretty sure the league will nudge everyone and be like, make sure he's on the roster, but he's also hurt. So we'll see if he even plays like he might be like a free extra all-star yeah. when we're going through these scenarios where he's going to get in and then be injury replaced. By the way, how is he only yeah. out for two weeks? I, I saw that play happen live where he slipped on the floor. I'll believe it when I see it. He did a full split, and they had to carry him off the court with, like, a towel over his head. Like, I thought it was, like, oh, my God. Like, or did we just lose him for the year kind of thing? Yeah. And he's out for two weeks. And he's, like... Yeah, it reminded me a lot like, of the DeMar one when he... Uh, with the, the adductor. Yeah, against it, Dallas. Yeah, it was, yeah. like, 19 games it cost him. And then Kyle ended up breaking down because Kyle was playing, like, 49 minutes a game uh, while, while DeMar was out. Yeah, the Raptors were somehow winning, though. That's, yeah. that's the thing with Kyle. It uh, doesn't matter how he's going to make it happen, but he's going to make it win. But, yeah, I don't know, man. Um... I think, yeah, for, anyway, look, for, for, for the three of us, he's an all-star. I just wanted to vet the case a little bit. But to be honest, like, I think the case is really strong. It's going to have to be a reserve, though. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. The vote is, I, I don't imagine you're, you're catching up at this point. But you could try to uh, vote still. Um, counts triple today, you said? Counts are triple today. Yeah. So, Vote.nba.com. Yeah. Lewis, 
Are you gonna be uh are you gonna be at the game today or what? Am I gonna see you down there? I'll be there. All I'll right. see you guys there. Oh, the uh, best part about that means Samson's not gonna be there. So Oh wow. Well, you know, I have I have no comments on that front. Uh, I actually rather like Samson. So Me you, know, too. you guys can be mean to him if you want to yeah, on air. It's on, just, uh, on national television. It's just banter. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh okay, uh Lewis, I'll see you down there. All right, guys. Uh always a blast. Appreciate chatting with you. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. Um okay. Before we go to break, actually, since we're on the subject of Scotty Barnes for All-Star. Whoop. All right. We are not breaking it. That's okay. Uh, since you're on the subject. So, yeah, the NBA All-Star game is a month away, and uh, you have the chance to vote your favorite Raptors, such as Scotty Barnes, into the game for Indianapolis today and Friday, January 19th. Your votes count triple, as we've said. So make sure you head to NBA.com or the NBA app to cast your vote. Good luck navigating the NBA app. That was not written in the promo. That's my own uh, uh, usage of that app, let's just say. To celebrate All-Star Voting, we are giving away a signed Scotty Barnes jersey. That's right. So to enter for a chance to win, uh, text today's code word BARNES um, to 59590. Again, today's code word is BARNES. Text us in to 59590 right now uh, to enter for your chance to win the signed Scotty Barnes jersey. You have to text it in in Darko's voice, though. I don't yeah. know how you do that over text, but we need it. You need to text it in as if Scotty Dar- Barnes, yeah, exactly there, yeah, like there that. You go. But just just Barnes, not the just first Barnes. One. Yeah. All right. But uh, yeah. Anyway, we're gonna take a break. I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Blake Murphy alongside William Liu. Uh, Raptors back in action tonight after Saturday, Sunday off. They will host. The Boston Celtics down at Scotiabank Arena. It is the first of a three-game, four-day homestand. We'll have the game for you on Sportsnet 590. The fan, they're playing the Celtics tonight. The Celtics will be without Jalen Brown. He has a knee hyperextension. Did not participate in shoot-around today. Uh, let's find out what the trickle-down from that might be. We're joined now by Jared Weiss of The Athletic, my old teammate. Jared, what's up, man? How are you? What's up, buddy? Good to see you. Man, the hair and uh, beard combo length is working right now. That's a, it's a good look for you, buddy. I'm just following your lead. I'm just finding my inspiration, and I'm sticking to it. I uh, got to ask you, before we get into tonight's stuff and Celtics' big-picture stuff, Ime Udoka w- was back head-to-head with Joe Mazzula the other day. That's a relevant question. You wrote a really good piece about it at The Athletic, but Jason Tatum also got tossed from that game, and why did he not use visual aids to make his case as he was uh, getting booted from that one? Uh, Mike Brown of the Sacramento Kings doing so yesterday. How, how close are we toward like film projectors now when, when guys are arguing with referees and griping their cases after the game? I want like, you know, those overhead projectors when we were kids, yeah. like, the translucent thing. Yeah. 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 If you're, if you're not using an overhead projector, are you really even trying in the NBA? 
No, absolutely not. You're uh, you. <laughs> Mike Brown has changed the game. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes from there. Um, so Udoka was back against Joe Missoula. That was obviously not a planned transition for the Boston Celtics in the head coaching position. Uh, Udoka lost that role through non-basketball things that we we could get into another time. Uh, Missoula, kind of an unexpected choice given his age and experience level to take over. So yes, uh, Saturday rather, uh, a nice point of reflection for anyone who didn't read your piece at The Athletic. Um, what did you kind of, what, what kind of resonated with you as, as you reflect on that change here a year and a half in? Yeah, I was looking at the night thinking, Obviously, the story here, whenever Emi Odoka is brought up in Boston, is understanding what happened. We know it was an inappropriate workplace relationship is the way that it was determined. That's why they fired him or suspended him and then mutually agreed to part ways. We'll call it that. Um, so I looked at it as Emi is probably not going to reveal anything new, probably going to be very vague and generic and dodgy. And that's kind of what happened. He did say that the players lied when they said that they didn't know what was going on. And I think they were probably just, you know, massaging the situation to try to get the team to maybe tell them what's the team side of the situation. But either way, we didn't really learn anything too new about what happened with the email situation. So I wanted to look at the evening as how has this team moved on and how has Joe Mazzula grown into this role and juxtaposing that to what Ime Odoka is trying to do now in Houston, where he's kind of trying to replicate something similar to what he pulled off in Boston, but they're obviously way earlier in the process. And so Joe Mazzula has talked a lot. He's been very honest and vulnerable this year about how much he struggled with coping with the situation he had last year, just like the craziness of how he came in. He's someone who doesn't like being in the spotlight. He likes working from behind the scenes. He doesn't want to take credit for anything. And when you're the coach, whether you want to take credit or not, you're getting blamed either way, right? And so Joe has finally found his confidence in his footing, and it's been a phenomenal year for him. Yeah, what's been interesting with Joe Mazzulla, too, is because, you know, last year, um, I don't know how much, like, public sentiment gets back to the coaches and things like that, but I remember one of the dominating storylines was like, well, it's actually Marcus Smart and Al Horford coaching this team. <laughs> and, you know, like, it, and it, it's, it is very dismissive of uh, the head coach to, to sort of insinuate that kind of thing. But, you know, he is kind of growing more and more into it. He does have more of a training camp. And, like, there is a distinctive style to which the Celtics – are playing, and I think that the more important thing is they're better than they were last year, and um, a lot of that has to come from the coaching perspective. But I want to hear your perspective as to how he's done in his second year, especially tactically with the group that is that's been different from year one. So I, I don't know where like if there was a major narrative about Horford and Smart being the real coaches, but the thing is, if you said that to Joe, he would probably say, "Good, I'm glad that's your perception," because from the beginning. He talked about how he wanted it to be a partnership because he recognized the situation he was coming into. He didn't exactly have authority to really throw down the way that he made Odoka did. Right. So he had to look at it as I am completely reliant on getting buy-in from my team and making my team feel that they're empowered while also thinking that I'm creative enough and I have my finger on the pulse enough of what's happening here to be able to give them the right guidance. And so Marcus Martin and Al Horford were supposed to be major vocal parts of that team. They always were. I don't think it was that different than before. There are some stories that maybe maybe made it seem like they had outsized power in the situation, but I think it was kind of in line generally with how things have gone in the past, especially with a team that had a very roller coaster season. For as far as they got, it was like a very the, the actual ride itself was very very up and down. So they needed those guys to lead, and you know I mean Smart's not here anymore, but 
now Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are more ready than ever to step in and assume that leadership role. And I think they've actually been doing a pretty good job with it. And we're so far past the whole vote of confidence for Joe thing that was happening at Sun last year. Mm. I don't think that's come up once this year because the way Missoula now carries himself and the results we're seeing of not just the fact that this team is so talented, but their game plans are really flexible night to night. They're really good at solving problems in game and making adjustments or just finding what to go to. They haven't lost multiple games in a row since I think the beginning of the year, right? I think so. Like clearly the stuff that you look for to show as signs of good coaching, you're seeing all of it from Boston. Yeah. And they have, you know, they've had a little bit of fortune in terms of, hey, that you, you're running a, a top six here. It's probably the best top six in basketball. Um, now, if they had had perfect health, that would be one thing. That group started together 21 times, the, the way they like it with Horford coming off the bench. But they've had to use 12 different starting lineups. We'll see a lineup that we haven't gotten a look at uh, in a little while here with Jalen Brown out tonight. So there's been some changes that they have to navigate through. Really, the biggest criticism you can throw at Joe Missoula at this point is, you know, Jeremy Renner's not that good in the town. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. I know what it's over. What are you talking about? Yeah. What uh, are you talking about? He's phenomenal in town. Uh, he's, he's carried in that one, one of the great death scenes in movie history. That's true. That is true. Um, so I, let me ask you this. Speaking of the town and how Boston everything is, the Celtics are 19-0 and 0 at home. They're 11-9 yeah. and 9 on the road, so maybe Raptors fans could feel a little solace and no Jalen Brown tonight, and they're only quite good on the road. 19-0 and 0 at home. What do you make of that? Like, it, it's, it almost feels impossible to pull that off over half a season. Like, that's half your home games for the year, basically, uh, at an NBA level, to have it at that level night tonight, whenever you're at home. What what do you make of that, if anything? I mean, at home, they're as hot as my face looks on the broadcast for some reason. Wow. I don't know why I look like a tomato right now in the, in the Zoom call. You but look good on our end. So. You got way more color than okay. both of us, which yeah. is uh, yeah. probably... Yeah, my Zoom probably look 100% red. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so... I think that there's probably just some scheduling luck as far as that is, is concerned. Um, they've had a few games where they really dug deep and pulled it out at home, but they've also just had a lot of really comfortable wins at home. Mm-hmm. That game in Houston against Houston, they just had two nights ago, like Houston put up a fight for one quarter and then it was just a blowout from there. And they've had a lot of those games where teams are close for like a quarter or two and they just separate themselves in the second half at home. So I don't think there's anything that I can really point towards as being like, this is a way they play different on the home at home. They've had some difficult road trips where they, you know, they just like had like a back to back and they lost or just stuff like that. Um, But on their first big West coast swing, it went really well. They lost the golden state and then they played great from there on out. So I think that they're pretty fine on the road. It's just that the way the schedule's worked out, most of their losses have happened to come on the road. What did you make of... So when they they have a Wednesday, Thursday back-to-back last week, and one of those games is at home. The road game on the second night is uh, against Milwaukee on national television. And... Look, I, I would. I think if I were in the same place, obviously you're going to listen to your medical staff and, and find out when do you have practices and extra off days. That's going to determine some of how how much you push guys on the first side of a back-to-back versus the second side of a back-to-back. But if I were in control, I'm prioritizing the home game. I, I want my fans to see the W. I want to get that win against the Minnesota Timberwolves who are at the top of the table in the Western Conference opposite Boston in the East. Um, but then it rolls into that Thursday night and they just like wave the white flag even before halftime, but start a, a different five and half. You like that strategy as like a, 
Like, I know the Nets ate a fine for doing something kind of similar. The Celtics had the cover of being blown out in this one. Uh, rare game to get flexed out of Thursday night basketball. What did you make uh, of how they handled that back-to-back and the Thursday night game in particular? I don't think they were going to sit all of their main guys. Um, so it's not like, I don't think they're going to go into this game and be like, we're going to rest Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They try to generally alternate those when they can. So you got to show up for that game. And that Minnesota game was a crazy game, like super physically intense, went to overtime. It was a real battle down to the wire. So, you know, they, they were just unlucky that they had a really difficult game the night before against a team that really has their number. Like Minnesota's played them better than anybody else in the NBA so far this year. And so you walk into Milwaukee and you expect them to put up a fight, but they just had nothing. And that happens sometimes. I think that's way more of a schedule loss than a concern about Milwaukee. And to Missoula's credit, he didn't play the main guys that much. He saw this game was a wash and he didn't try to get them out there for like that, you know, that run into the mid fourth quarter, then put garbage time. And he was like, all right, screw it. We're, we're moving on from this game. And sometimes you have to do that as a coach. Yeah. In Toronto, that's known as a Nick nurse. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny too, because yeah, the home record being as good as it is, like, it, is it almost like kind of talking about a no hitter through like one and a half innings right now, like five innings? Cause I mean, the Celtics, people are unaware. They do have the 40 and one as well. Yeah, they share that one. To their credit, they are so far into this home winning streak that we don't even ask about it anymore. Okay. Like for a while, they're getting to certain landmarks. We're like, okay, well, this is monumental. It's crazy. It's going this long. And I noticed after last game, I don't think anyone asked anything about the home winning streak. Okay, good. So we're over it. Everybody's over it. Yeah, that's fair. You guys have so many things to appreciate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, your your focus has instead been on, like, let's get Derek White to the All-Star game. We need a fifth All-Star or something yeah. like that, which we could talk about after. So um, it, the home winning streak is cool. Obviously, the number one seed in the East, they've got, like, a three-game cushion here. This is a team that's not new to this. They've been to the playoffs a ton of times, uh, you know, every year since 2013, 2014, and even before that was a, a long streak as well. They know what they're preparing for here, but this group has not won a championship together yet. What is the focus on kind of week to week right now? I'm sure it's like a vague uh, kind of, well, let's get better and let's be playing our better basketball. But is there an area with this Celtics team where you yourself are focused on like, hey, this has got to be better by April if it's not going to be a repeat of, you know, the last four years once it came playoff time? Very little. Very okay. little because the way this team is playing is way more playoff ready. They're really good at the end of games now. They were really bad in fourth quarters, so really in clutch time the last few years. And they've been, I think they're like eighth or maybe even sixth in net rating right now in that. Like they've been good in the clutch. And Porzingis deserves a lot of credit for that because they just finally have two man game that they can go to. They can get a lot of simple stuff just putting him and Jalen or Jason into actions, or Derek White. The Derek White, Kevin, uh, Chris Osborne's pick and roll has been really effective this year now that White is a really good pull-up shooter. So figuring out how to close games is not really a big issue for them now. Their issue is sometimes they come out flat in third quarters, like they did against Indiana, who dropped 44 on them in the third. Um, we didn't even get to see what a third quarter against Milwaukee would look like, So, <laughs> but it probably would have been great. So... Being consistent in third quarters, that's one thing, which honestly, a lot of great teams have that where they're up going into halftime all the time. So they come out flat in the second half. I think that's probably you want to have your problems in the third more than you want to have them in the fourth. And that's been the opposite for them every single year. And then they have to figure out how do we actually create offense in the fourth quarter. So really that Jalen Brown's playmaking has really come around over the course of the season. He was trying to be a better playmaker earlier in the year and was just a little consistent or inconsistent. 
And I think he's starting to do a really good job of committing to making the right reads and, you know, kind of attacking specific coverages to pass instead of shoot late in games now. And that was something he wasn't doing as well earlier. And once that turns the corner, there's like very little for them to worry about. Like Sam Hauser needs to get back to shooting at 45% from deep, which I think it's starting to get a little bit better. Oh, don't worry. They're playing the Raptors today. I believe he's shooting a 600% against the Raptors. Yeah, he's already hit a three. (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's... Sorry. He's already five for four before we even start the game. But so like bench production being consistent and reliable, that's certainly a thing. But the starting five, it's just like there's the holes are so small. You can barely even thread a needle for them. Yeah. I was going to say the only thing the Celtics, sometimes I feel like when I'm watching, I'm like, okay, they don't, they don't play in the paint as much maybe because they're so good at shooting threes that they can reliably hit a ton of threes. And maybe honestly, on some nights they get really cold and, and you might feel that impact. But I do like the fact that now they have Chris Stapps in the mix. And a lot of times teams will, you know, switch and try to protect the three-point line or, or at least try to guard against that draw penetration. And the Celtics do the simple thing. They just have Porzingis against the switch. They always find him. And I feel like I've personally watched them hit, like, a ton of just pull-up and one jumpers of, like, small guys trying to reach up against this, like, seven-foot-three guy trying to contest them. Um, what has that aspect done for, for the Celtics offense, being able to incorporate Chris Stapps? Yeah, well, what's funny is they don't have any really low post guys. They have a lot of high and big yeah, post guys. Yeah. So you're right. Most of their posts, you know, they have one low post score on the team, and it's Drew Holiday. He is pretty good <laughs> at Drew Holiday, he's the one guy that barrels into the paint and takes a hook shot. And then if he misses, he actually is really good at putting it back. It's kind of crazy. Huh. He basically plays like he's six foot nine. Um, they're, they've basically been using him like Blake Griffin in 2014, essentially, this year. Um, but so we'll end up much, much lower scale. But so... They they post up in areas where, like it's it's KP shot, it is Tatum shot. Jalen Brown is getting better from that mid post area, but those are really inefficient areas with not great rebounding opportunities. So if they do hit a cold streak in a series from that area, or a team gets super physical in that area, matches up well, and they can't hit those shots, that's where I can see them being exposed. And then there have been times this year where they were, you know, there's so much talk about Missoula ball and being too reliant on threes. I mean they. They're up there in volume, but they're not like it's not like they're an outlier in volume, right? They have better balance this year of recognizing when they're just chucking and missing a ton of threes and they need to just get some easy buckets. And they have now like the skill that they have the guys with talent to be able to do that now, which makes things easier. But there have been times this year where like literally they took 45 threes and they shot poorly. And players on the team were like, we probably should have in the third quarter started just passing up some of these decent threes and just really fight for some good mid-range or rim range. So they need to keep that in mind, especially in the postseason. But I just I think we've seen enough evidence at this point to presume that they're going to be just fine at that. So uh, it is January 15th. I wouldn't ask you this question in October or November, but we probably won't talk to you again before the trade deadline, especially since uh, this is the fourth and final meeting between the Raptors and Celtics. Um, the Celtics are in pretty good shape. We just kind of went over a lot of things they do well that they don't have to focus on a, a ton right now because they look pretty pretty playoff ready. But as far as contenders go, they're also built pretty flexibly. They have some assets if they need to make something happen between now and the trade deadline. Um, what level of uh, aggression do you see them taking to the deadline? And where would you be focusing if they do, you know, add a piece for that second unit or something like that? Highly likely they make a deal. It's going to be small. You know, uh, last year, I think they traded two seconds for Mike Muscala, something along those lines. He's available they, again. I'm sure Detroit has him now. And I think they can trade for him now that he's been moved again, right? Yeah. So bring back, bring him back. 
Um, they know that he's not really the kind of player that I think they need. I think they need basically somebody similar to O'Shea Brissett and Lamar Stevens, who they actually are willing to play reliably. Because right now, their ninth man tends to be a center, Luke Cornett or Nemish Keita. I don't think they're going to use a center as much in the postseason. Al Horford's just going to be the main backup big. You generally don't go to a third center. And that's where they're going to need a big, powerful wing. Sam Hauser is a good defender. And Joe Mazzulli even finally admitted, even though he's white, he's a good defender. Uh, <laughs> is that he, what he, said? He, even, he did. He, he said, even, yeah, he's a white shooter, he was like, so everyone assumes he can't defend. And then as soon as he said it, he said, yeah, I said that. Because I think <laughs> earlier this year, he like wouldn't say it on the record. Oh, okay. Like, that's what it was. He's like, screw it, I'm saying it. Yeah. Like, Hauser's a good defender, but he's not big. Mm-hmm. And when you need somebody that's just big, someone that you can give fouls and minutes on Giannis to and other guys like that, they definitely need some help there. And just someone else that can finish in the paint, like you were saying before. Like, they don't have a lot of real paint finishers. So somebody that can do some of that, I think, is probably their main target. And then Cornette and Keita have been fine this year, but ideally not the caliber you want in the playoffs. So maybe they use some of their second-round picks and that Grant Williams great exception they have for about $6 million to get a slightly better backup center. Um, but I, I think larger wing that can handle guarding superstars in the playoffs for a few minutes is probably their primary concern. You mentioned uh, O'Shea there. Uh, the Celtics are back tonight. These are former Raptors and Canadians. Ha- how have O'Shea and Delano been? I know Delano just kind of went down to the G League for a, hey, let's get you some minutes kind of thing. O'Shea's been in and out of the rotation as an energy piece. How, how have those guys uh, been for the Celtics team? Listen, after saying all that, I bet O'Shea's going to go out and have like 14 points and nine rebounds tonight. Everyone in Canada's going to be like, O'Shea's the truth. Why is he playing? O'Shea wasn't playing very much early in the year. Last three-ish weeks or so, he's starting to get more rotation minutes. He's shown some good things. Energy level off the charts. He gives you a lot of what you're looking for as far as somebody that can just play above the rim, somebody that can play physically. His feel in the defensive system isn't great yet, but he also isn't really getting many reps. His shooting is very unreliable. Uh, he actually makes decent decisions with the balls uh, with the ball. I think he should be getting more minutes really over this next month so they can figure out if he's their guy. Lamar Stevens, they just haven't really given any serious opportunity to. I think we know Lamar's game. Really rocks all defender, very basic spot up shooter on offense who can attack a little bit and he cuts and he goes to the rack. But like O'Shea is probably their best chance at getting somebody that can crack this rotation. And then Banton just hasn't really played at all. And he's given them some good hustle and defense when he's been in games, but he just hasn't really gotten much run. Yeah, I think that was kind of the issue with Delano here in Toronto too. It's just like he's he's good in transition. He's good at pushing the, the pace. Um, but yeah, in terms of a, even as a consistent backup point guard option, um, the Raptors are pretty left wanting uh, most nights. Yeah. You, you didn't, you, no, no speed. No I, I mean, I kept it focused on the Canadians, but yeah, yeah. Svi Mihailuk uh, still exists Former for Raptor. the Celtics as well. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, there was a rumor they were interested in Chris Boucher potentially as well. They're just collecting guys <laughs> yeah, who didn't on? work on the Raptors. They're just trying I, to recycle well, Raptor players. Yeah, Boucher has worked, but still okay, collecting Raptors second unit it should, pieces. It should be in reverse. We should be collecting Celtics. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Jared. So, um, Look, we covered Sam Hauser being white. We covered uh, Joe Mazzula. We, All the hit, important stories. Yeah. We've hit pretty much oh. everything. Uh, no Jalen Brown tonight. With respect to tonight's game, how do you see that changing things for the Celtics? Uh, especially, you know, we these two teams have seen each other three times this year, but not since the Raptors acquired R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. Um, that, that is a, a bit of a new look that the Celtics will see tonight. I think this is a quickly debate. Like, Jalen... Jalen's been really good with pointing a point of attack defense and pushing tempo on offense. And he's also been good at getting to his spots in the mid range to hit shots lately. 
But when Jalen isn't out there, the Celtics don't have that edge for pushing into transition that they usually have. So this is where the Raptors, they need to run. They need to run a ton. They probably, the Celtics probably won't get as many steals and easy fast breaks as the usual because they don't want to have Jalen out there. So that really falls, I think, into Toronto's favor. And then, you know, when, when Jalen Brown's not out there, that's a segment of the game where Tatum is off the floor where usually Brown can give them some good buckets. And if the Raptors' second unit can really pounce in those moments, and I like to see if Darko's going to actually like kind of stack some more starters into those pockets of the game where Tatum's off the floor, that's where you can really chip away at the Celtics. Mm. Yeah, that'll be interesting. By the way, quickly, his uh, breakout game was against the Celtics. Yeah. Like, breakout, breakout in the I national. Yeah. So you better have 40 tonight. Uh, he might need to have 40 tonight. The Raptors have yet to win against an Atlantic Division opponent. I can't believe it, man. We have fell very far. We have three, far. three desperate games with the Nets left uh, oh to try God. to make that happen. Yeah. Wow. It's right. been ugly. Uh, Jared, man, thanks so much for taking the yeah, time. I, I really it. appreciate it, buddy. It was awesome, guys. Thank you. There you go. Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Uh, make sure you check out uh, all his stuff. Look, I, I know we feel a certain way about the, the Celtics when we're talking about the the Toronto Raptors and certainly people here in Toronto, but Jared's work is excellent. And the Celtics team, if you can get past yeah. the fact that they're the Celtics, they're a fascinating team. And, and without argument, one of the three best teams in the NBA, just a matter of, are they one? Are they three? Yeah. And, uh, you know, are they, are they going to be able to get through the Milwaukee's, uh, Philadelphia's and yeah, Miami's? That is, well, Miami, I'm, I'm happy you threw Miami in there because that has been their banana peel in, in the conference. Um, that's the question I wanted to ask Jared, but also I was like, he probably has to answer this like 15 times a day. So I'll just ask you instead. If you're the Celtics, do you feel 100% confident going up against Philadelphia in a series, going up against Milwaukee in a series, and I suppose going up against Miami in a series? I mean, not really, because we're talking about teams at the level where you can, you're not going to be able to check off every possible matchup box, right? Like, like Philadelphia okay. has Joel Embiid. And, but, and I mean, they, man, Boston Celtics got Al Horford, and he has done a great job. Right. So even if you think, well, maybe size-wise or Al Horford comes off the bench or whatever, you're still yeah. probably as okay with that as you're going to be mm -hmm. against Joel Embiid. Milwaukee is one where I think they're probably confident with the Dame side of it, given the defensive caliber of their backcourt. Okay. okay. Um, we'll get a good look at Tatum's level of defense tonight. I, I'd imagine he's going to handle a lot of the Scotty Barnes assignment. If I were them, that's someone where – you know, maybe I would like one more big physical defender off mm. the bench, even if it's just to throw a couple fouls at him. To, like to a Tory Craig. Like that you can kind get of guy, Craig, yeah, yeah. This year's version of Jay Crowder, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like You can't get Jay Crowder anymore because he's on Milwaukee. But right, yeah, like, but like yeah. someone who's not actually that good, but ha mm. serves a purpose. Maybe they take P.J. Like Tucker that. off the Clippers hands. He's not playing over there. Yeah, he's got a, a lot of money next year too, though. Yeah, that's the, the tough part there. That's the thing with the Celtics too. Like, it's not as easy for them to add players because they don't have like disposable, well, not disposable, they don't have tradable contracts. Yeah. You know, like they need to trade away players They've or trade exceptions. Trade exceptions and draft picks, which are great. But like the Grant Williams one, for example, mm -hmm. that's a $6.2 million trade exception. But you, for, for anyone who doesn't know this, you can't combine trade exceptions with other exceptions or you can't do, well, Peyton Pritchard makes $4 million and we have this $6 million exception so we can take $10 million no, back. No, no doesn't work that way you get so a 6.2 million you can take back 6.3 million you get 100k of wiggle room but that's it so you know that's not getting you to a chris boucher if no if chris, that's the thing they're interested in chris boucher you, it's like who are they even trading to get chris? you could get auto porter you could get auto porter the yeah, other do you thing want you, auto I mean, the other thing you can do you can get really creative with this where like let's say they were enamored with boucher and they really want to boucher mm. you turn grant williams a 6.2 million trade exception into a player 
who you can then turn around and trade and you've, you're using the like 25% in and out rules. Um, you, you can kind of yeah. cobble your, your way there, but realistically yeah. you're right. The sell, if you, if anyone remembers um, the 2016, 2017 Raptors mm-hmm. did all my trade deadline primers and mailbags and yeah, all yeah. your trade ideas are bad and stuff like that. That team was structured where there were a couple guys making the max. Mm-hmm. There were a whole bunch of guys making the minimum and Patrick Patterson made $8 million. Yep. And every single trade scenario included Patrick Patterson because he was the only way to make mm-hmm. anything work math-wise. The Celtics are in a bit of a spot like that where you're not trading Al Horford, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Chris Abbs, Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown. And then Peyton Pritchard only makes $4 million and then is heading into an extension. So he's poison-pilled. And then everyone else is minimums. Yeah. So, like, how do you make a trade work? It really is going to have exceptions. to be one of these fringe, fringier guys that you mm-hmm. attach a pick to or something like that. Um, it'll it'll make for a fascinating uh, fascinating off season. What do you? What, we'll tee up the mat the game a little more. Actually, let's just do it right now. Okay, yeah, go it's ahead. Time now for between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Mm-hmm. Take a chance. So I mentioned it earlier. Jalen Brown is out. He hyperextended his knee. He's not playing tonight. Uh, Jakob Pertle remains out. Otto Porter remains out. Grady Dick is questionable with the thumb sprain. But the headline items here: Yaks out. Jalen Brown's out. The Raptors are seven point underdogs. The over under is set at two forty two. If you don't remember, uh, the Raptors have lost three times to the Celtics this year. 117-94 on the road, 108-105 here in Toronto, and 120-118 to on the road. Will, Raptors plus seven, how you feeling? I never feel good playing against the Celtics. I'm sorry. I just don't. This um, is true. I know Alex would, would tease you sometimes that if if they want, they went every game the way you predicted, they'd go 82-0. They'd actually go 78-4. and Yeah, yeah. By the way, I already apologized uh, on Friday's recap, <laughs> but... Sorry for picking the Raptors against the Jazz. They 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 blew that one by thirty plus points. Never apologize for being yourself, Will. Yeah, yeah. Look, listen. Uh, I'm going to be very realistic. I I never like when the Raptors play the Celtics. I feel like the Celtics have had the Raptors number consistently now. Um, I'm not saying the Raptors can't compete with them. The last time the Celtics were in Toronto, the Raptors competed with them. Pascal had a really good fourth quarter, um, and it came down to that one last possession. I think Dennis yeah, Schroeder. Went for a little like running push shot. Which that was the game they couldn't get Scotty back in the game. If couldn't anyone get Scottie remembers back in the game, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's learning on the job apparently. But like, in, in any case, it's just a bad matchup. Um, yes, Jalen Brown not being available is gonna you know help favor the Raptors, I suppose. But the Celtics are just really, really balanced. Um, I think in this case, starting a little bit smaller probably will give the Raptors an initial advantage, just because I feel like it was really awkward seeing the Raptors play the Celtics with. Um, Jakob Proto in the lineup. It, they're so good at spacing the floor, even from the center positions, that like um, it, it, it's always felt a little awkward. However, when you're telling me the alternative is the Raptors might probably start that young. Are we starting that young again? Uh, maybe. Okay, so, Jonte? I think I'd be more comfortable with Thad in this okay. matchup. So John, then, Jonte yeah. chasing Kristaps on pick and pops could be tough. Yeah, so that's my thing. It's just like, well, you know, it's still not ideal, but I mean, look, I, honestly, this the Raptors is a night, be with them, but I, I, I don't expect them to win tonight. This is a night you could probably justify starting like small, small, like Scotty's the center, Pascal's the four, and you get an extra, whether it's Gary or Dennis okay. in there. Um, just because like, like okay. Porzingis is obviously very, very good and, and he could take guys into the post, but they run so much pick and pop stuff with mm-hmm. him. They want him on the perimeter facing up. Yeah. They'll kind of invert things where like Jared mentioned, it's Drew Holiday actually in the post. Everyone else is high well, post. They're probably the going to be posting line. guys like Gary and, and Dennis if we do that. Though. Yeah, but yeah. but do you prefer that to a Thad Young or Jonte Porter trying to chase pick and pops against the team that shoots the most threes? Honestly, I feel like offensively the Raptors 
are so used to playing with a high post like hub, mm-hmm. passing hub, that I do think that Thad will provide some value there. But I'll give him the first look, and then you can yeah. adjust on the fly. Like I, I, this is one of those games similar to a lot that the Raptors have had this year, where they might start a game with one way, but then third quarter might look a different way coming out of halftime. So Jalen Brown's missed two games this year. Uh, there was one game against Philadelphia where. Um, Porzingis was also out. So uh, they ended up, they actually beat the 76ers in that game. Um, Al Horford came in to, to, to be the, the replacement. Yeah. The other game, J- uh, Jalen Brown missed. Um, they started um, Sam Hauser. So that is probably what I'm expecting tonight. I know that like on, yeah. on personnel alone, you'd probably expect Al Horford to get bumped in and then they play a little bigger or whatever. But given what the Raptors do well and don't do well, and given how much Boston likes this, stability of the rotation i kind of think sam hauser starts he probably starts i mean he started last time the raptors played them shorthanded yeah yeah um and i i mean like i, I suppose he's been on a cold shooting streak um but yeah what's he down to 41.3 percent on threes on the air <laughs> ice cold yeah he's uh in the last 14 games down to 32 32 uh, percent in those last 14 games but and i fully expect him to hit at least also, four threes like, against the raptors this is the thing with like yeah. s- with picking the sample sizes is like that was what the last 14 games that's 14 games yeah. the last eight games he's at 42 percent exactly so yeah, that yeah. that streak seems behind him at this point he did have a bad game against houston on the weekend but it didn't really matter oh um, i hate being this positive about the celtics but i just got to give respect where it's due man they're good man yeah. um it's 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 really really mm. unfortunate uh you want to take a break and do some around the nba yeah yeah, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance, probably on the Boston Celtics. Okay, we're going to take our last break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Team be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Uh, we are going to go around the NBA. That's right. No Alex, but we can just we can still go around the NBA. It's fine. Uh, and before we talk, do that, though, there was a segment that we actually ran out of time in segment one, which always happens. Like, we always prepare all these, you know, topics, and we're like, oh, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? It's always way too much. And we're like an overpacker, essentially, yeah. for a trip when it comes to preparing for the show. And one subject I didn't really get to in segment one, but I wanted to circle back before we were going on the NBA, is the fact that, yeah, we've seen now in two of the seven games that the Raptors have played that Darko has chosen not to go back to R.J. Barrett in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, well, and this time in the third quarter. In this time, it was the third quarter. So the previous time was Sacramento. That game, he was struggling. He didn't end up featuring in the fourth quarter. Chris Boucher was playing really well in that one. Um, and then in this last game against Utah, I mean... RJ was pretty, it was a pretty tough performance. I think it was 0 for 7 for 0 points in the first half. And he had some foul trouble. And so Darko decided to change the starting lineup. He brought in Gary to start the third quarter. He brought in Jonte to start for Thad. Now, Jonte started for Thad, whatever. I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a triage situation right now without Jakob available. But what do you make of the fact that RJ's role with the starting five seems to be maybe the most fungible out of the five players so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes some sense. Like when we were coming into uh, what this would all look like after the trade, you know, RJ obviously has uh, the name and the reputation, the the draft cash and um, even the Canadian aspect. But based on what he did in 
New York, you could have made a case for someone else to start. I wouldn't have made that case. I would have gone with RJ, but I would have heard your argument if you didn't think he was a, a lock to start with this team. So um, I think that's part of it. I think it's good to get back to some flexibility in that regard where they were just like, because they didn't have the bodies, they were just so rigid for so much of this year. It was the same starting five no matter what. We had to talk about it 25 shows in a row before mm. Dennis moved to the bench and Gary came in, and, and that obviously you know, was something different, but it wasn't particularly effective either. So I think that, um, you know, it, it's good to get back to some of that level of flexibility. I think RJ is also a unique case in that if Emmanuel quickly doesn't have it that night, he's still bringing some things, right? His, mm-hmm. his the spacing okay. he provides as a shooting threat, his, you know, team level off ball defense and things like that. On a night that RJ doesn't have it, it's a little tougher for him to contribute because he's not that same level of individual defender. Um, You know, he's not a natural playmaker, at least not in a kind of lead guard role. And teams don't really care that much about RJ spotting up. So when RJ's at his best, he turns all of those things and uses them against the defense really, really well. When he doesn't have it, though, it can kind of cramp your spacing. It's kind of a what are you adding? And on a team right now that could probably justify when Jakob's back, there are probably seven guys on a good night who could say, hey, I should be on the on the floor at the end of a game. Someone's going to gonna have to come out, and, and RJ probably has, you know, of those main seven guys, other than Gary, probably the lowest floor. Mm. And Gary at least offers some spacing. He's just, you know, not defensively. There's, there's not a lot there. So his, his floor, to me, is lower. But RJ, you know, despite the upside we've seen, probably has the second lowest floor of that group of seven. Totally different group of seven that we're talking about here. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. No, Sorry but, about the no, it's heart lovers. It's all good. Um, but I, I think for RJ, I mean, I, it's a little surprising to me. Like, okay, I, I hear you with the floor and all that kind of stuff, but long-term wise, in terms of who's for sure going to be here next year and beyond, like RJ is no lower than third on this list on the, on the Raptors. Yep. So in terms of like core going forward, I mean, I, I, I think he is, his body of work is, is good enough where like, I wouldn't, try to move him in and out of the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not advocating like, for him not starting tonight or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, on a night where so little was working against Utah and uh-huh. he was really, really bad. I, I just, I yeah. get it is all. I would stick with this right. starting five for a, at least a while here because you're right. Three of the pieces are, you know, the pieces. Mm-hmm. And and I guess my the context here is we've seen Darko do this elsewhere as well. So, you know, the most notable lineup decision he's made is after about 30 games of it not working out, he moved Dennis to the second unit. Um, and, of course, you know, trades and stuff like that happened, injuries, and so he did start a couple more games. But generally speaking, he's now been moved to the second unit, and he's a six-man type. That took a long time for them to get to that spot, though. We've seen Jakob start every game when he's available, but there were stretches where he would not play for the fourth quarter mm-hmm. or even that he would not start for the second half, I believe, once in a while. So, but that took until at least 20-ish games of it not working for that to, you know, start to pop up or be a regular occurrence. The fact that RJ, after like two weeks, and he, objectively he's had like at least five good games, I feel like. The two games that he didn't have good games, those were the ones where Darko limited his minutes. To me, I'm just like give give him a little bit more rope, especially with the with the new team and everything like that. Like I I do believe in the upside of what RJ has been bringing, and I would I want him to play through those mistakes. This is sort of my thinking with this, but 
I guess yeah, I'm just I, a little I, surprised I that Dark Horse already arrived this uh, at this point that quickly. Sure. I I, I guess I just uh, one I I understand uh, a little bit, and two like they were getting absolutely hammered by the Jazz, and they had to try some. Like yeah, they yeah, also yeah. flipped Thad Fine. Young up for Jonte Porter. Yeah, I um, think it's also important to say that RJ was asked about this after the game, and he was like, "Dude, I sucked. Like it's not something that I'm going to push back against at all." Like he was totally professional about the whole thing. Um. So it's not like I'm not trying to create a problem. I'm just thinking that like, yeah, I would personally give RJ more opportunity to try to play through his struggles. That's all. Yeah, I think that yeah. uh, that's fair. And I think that's what you'll see more often than not, honestly. All right. Okay. Around the NBA, we'll see if uh, we'll, we'll see what, what happens with RJ moving forward. But I do believe, you know, agree with you there that uh, he's going to get every opportunity to continue to start and keep playing. So around the NBA, uh, first thing over the weekend, um, the Pistons and the Wizards made a, a a trade and sent everyone scrambling to their phones only to find out that the Detroit Pistons had traded Marvin Bagley III and Isaiah Livers and two future second-round picks to the Washington Wizards for Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, the team announced Sunday. Blake, your thoughts about this trade? Because honestly, like, this, yeah. <laughs> I guess the old phrase is it's not really worth the ink it's printed on. Yeah. But uh, the news isn't worth that. But, I mean, in this case, the digital ink that uh, Woj had to input into his phone. Yeah. So, I mean, this one's curious to me for a, a couple of reasons. Um, the, look, the main reason for this trade is the Pistons wanted out of the $12.5 million they owe to Marvin Bagley for next year. They pick up two expirings. Um, Isaiah Livers has been, like, the worst player in the NBA statistically. I would still give the nod to James Wiseman uh, myself, but, like, based on advanced... <laughs> competition on the same Yeah, team. based on the advanced metrics <laughs> oh, and things like man. that, Livers has a, a chance, has a claim at that. And then the second-round picks here are so funny where, like, one of those picks is only if it's the lesser of three different picks and only if it's within a certain range in the second round in okay, 2025. Okay. So it's, it's one a fake of those, pick. It's, yeah, the 2026 one's a real pick. The 2025 one's kind of a fake pick. Um, what I found fascinating about this trade, though, is we're a couple weeks out from the trade deadline. Detroit and Washington are both teams that should be opportunistic at the trade deadline, whether it's eating a salary, mm. whether it's facilitating a larger trade, with their cap space or their cap flexibility or another salary and things like that. And I do think that even if you understand this trade on its surface, Washington picks up a pick, they get a look at Bagley, Detroit gets out of the money. That much I get. This trade absolutely would have been there at February 8th at 2.59 p.m. Yeah. To do this now, now Gallinari and Mascala as expirings who are vets who could maybe give you some minutes, they can't be added with someone else in a trade. So you can trade for them individually, but just not exactly. as a group. Okay, cool. Marvin Bagley's $12.5 million, mm. which would be, if you're looking at, look at how complicated some of the Pascal three-teamers yeah, can yeah. get, or DeJounte Murray three-teamers. Detroit had a, had a possibility of, if you just sit and wait, Marvin Bagley's $12.5 million contract, maybe you get out of it for free because mm. you ask that as a favor of like, we're going to cap-wise help this trade make, make sense. And we don't even want anything back, mm -hmm. but we're not giving up second round picks to get out of that salary. Um, if you're Washington, that use of your 2024, 2025 cap space, what if a better player than Marvin Bagley at $12.5 million came along between now and February 8th? It's just, to me, it shows two front offices that were, yeah, I get it. They're itchy to, to do something. I think for Detroit, there's probably an element of Bagley's unhappy there. Let's get him out of the room. Let's get two vets who could maybe help us actually win a game. Um, but to me, it's it's two front offices that have not done a very good job jumping a couple weeks early on a trade that would be there at 259 on the deadline and taking themselves out of the mix for if you're Washington, yeah. well, maybe Gallo or Mescala could be of value. Maybe we could pick up second-round picks without having to eat Bagley's money. If you're Detroit, we've had to pay to get rid of Bagley um, 
earlier than necessary when maybe we wouldn't have had to if we just waited a little bit. It just, I don't know. It's it's it seems to me as much as it's a nothing deal. I actually think I think less of both front offices after yeah. doing it. It's bad process, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and why why right now this absolutely was there. Uh, a couple weeks. <laughs> I don't want just. I don't want just piss. He's like, man, you want to do this? I gotta. I gotta get yeah. on my phone and do this right now and tweet it out before Shams does it. Ten seconds yeah, later. Yeah, like Alex made the Can't joke on you. Twitter that like this is like the two last place guys in your fantasy league making yeah. trade. I made the joke of like you're at a poker game and there's no buybacks and a second table starts up. That's yeah. what Detroit and Washington are doing over here. Yikes! It's uh, it's it's a mess. Obviously, there's almost no basketball impact uh-huh. to this. Who cares? But. Yeah, bad it's, process. It's it's just also funny for the players involved because, like, let's say you're Marvin Bagley and you've been stuck on bad franchises, and of course, this this business team, and you find out you get traded, and then you find out that it's to the Washington. It's like if like Andy Dufresne at the end of Shawshank Redemption climbs out of that hole and he finds out he like escaped to Rikers, <laughs> like he's just still in prison. Like that, you have not moved to a better situation. For any of the four players, or uh, yeah, four players involved in this. Dog your way to Rikers. Is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's tough, man. Um, by yeah. the way, I know we joked about it with, with Jared, but while we're doing a, around the NBA, what did you think of Mike Brown bringing out the laptop? So for yeah. anyone who didn't see it, uh, Mike Brown, coach of the Kings, um, was getting into it with the officials. He is going to become the fourth refer- the fourth coach this year to get fined for for talking mm-hmm. about the officials. But he actually brought a laptop out and went like this <laughs> he and like showed the media the plays that he was talking about. <laughs> um, man, I, obviously this is silly, but w- yeah. what did you make of that? You like that? I like that. I really like Mike Brown as a character. Yeah, like he just seems like a guy that I would genuinely like to have as my boss. He seems really personable. He seems like he's got a lot of great experience. He's coached, obviously, LeBron famously, but lots and lots of superstars in his in his time. He's been around a long time. He wears Vans. The whole King staff wears Vans. I get a kick out of that. And I'm still waiting for the first Hooper to hoop in Vans. I, I yeah. told you this story before where Ronald Roberts Jr., yeah, the right. 905 guy, is a big skateboarder, and he told me at one point he wanted to be the yeah. first NBA player with a Vans deal. Mm. We need it. If if pitchers in baseball can do it, yeah, you threw a no, throw a no-hitter in Vans, we can we can get a guy hooping in the in a Nike SBs or something. This guy's trying to see Van Stevenson, but like wow, um, yeah, I just I, I like Mike Brown a lot, man, as as a character, as a personality. So yeah, I, and shout out to Jordy Fernandez br- on that stuff. For sure, for sure, it, it's great to just bring you know like more and more like pieces of evidence because it's yeah. easy to just be like you know you're at the podium, you do nothing. Like it's actually kind of funny because you really just see players and coaches come to the podium and they just speak. Mm-hmm. Right. To have visual aid, like now we're opening up a new door. Like I, I think coaches should do this more and more often. Yeah. Whoever gets post game podium tonight, if they win, I want show and tell. Bring yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Let's forget no, be the like game. the podcast. Be like us. Like come to the microphone with a laptop in front of you yeah. and like, you know, demonstrate. The, you the know? best we get is a guy looking at the box score. Be like, oh, how many, how many assists yeah. do I have? No, but even the boxer is cool. I love when they yeah. like rip it up or like they toss it like but Jimmy Butler. Just like, don't tell yeah. Rudy Gay when he, when he outlawed the stats sheet for this is maybe before you were covering the team. Uh-huh. But when Rudy Gay was still yeah, around, you weren't allowed to have the stats sheet in yeah. the locker room. Well, you should. No one should be able to looking at eleven for thirty-seven in the box score ever from one player. But um, you know, um, yeah, all right. I'm not I, forgiving Rudy Gay for that. I'm no. sorry, man. Eleven for thirty-seven in an overtime game against the Washington or Houston Rockets, and they only score like in the eighties. Yeah. It's like two overtimes and they scored 80 some points. Speaking of guys, you'll never forget yeah, uh, or never forgive rather. Uh, Kawhi signed the extension with the Clippers nice. on the weekend. So obviously Steve Ballmer willing to go way into the second apron. Like mm-hmm. he's going to re- Paul George will get extended. James Harden will probably get re-signed, whatever. Clippers are also getting the 2026 all-star game. Um, this to me is the Clippers are obviously putting a lot of money into a new arena, a new facility and, and to their team. Um, 
you like that as a like like should the league make more of an effort to hey there's a new stadium um there's something different and new Let, let's try to get the focus on that with the all-star game i mean i i like it like it's it's obviously a way to introduce and, and create like more hype i also think that like I don't know what the league was doing the last couple of years, but for the All-Star Games to be in Utah. Was it Cleveland, Utah, Indy in this Cleveland, Utah, Indy has been the last three All-Stars. Like, I I appreciate smaller markets getting it. I really liked it when the Raptors got it. And I don't yeah, think Toronto's a small market. It's just yeah. priority-wise, they're clearly a small market. But, like, come on, man. Like, the All-Star Games should be in places like New Orleans, like L.A., like uh, Phoenix, like Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, Fun, warm times in the summer that, that like, not just players want to go to, but the fans want to travel to go to. Low of minus 16 Celsius in Toronto this week. You, yeah. you trying to run back the coldest weekend of all time uh, uh, in Toronto for All-Star, like in 2016? It, it is feeling that way. But uh, even when it was in Toronto and it was, like, ungodly how cold it was, they still had, like, the hottest ticket in town when it was, like, Kobe's last All-Star game. When yeah. it was Drake um, coaching the celebrity game, Drake coaching the celebrity game, Draymond Green and, and Kevin Hart having a three point shooting contest, which low key Kevin Hart kind of won. Uh, you also had Steph Curry going against Clay Thompson, going against Devin Booker in the finalists of the three point shootout. And then, of course, you had like the best dunk contest, arguably of all time, but like maybe you don't want to say it of all time, but the dunk off between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon was yeah. just ridiculous. Like everyone remembers that all easily weekend. the best since Vince. Yeah, exactly. And so if you want to quibble beyond that, whatever. So exactly, it's like yeah. Anyway, um, I'm I'm happy that LA's the All Star Games been in LA because there's a chance us, us media we get to go to that uh, potentially. And, yeah. yeah, you you weren't you weren't asking Tolman for the the tickets to Indy. I, I you know I did not request tickets to go to India, in, Indianapolis. Although that that court in the in the middle of the uh, airport, the airport looked yeah. pretty cool. That yeah. does look really. Yeah. I saw someone tweet you. Imagine on your layover, you blow your Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, rough the other thing was imagine someone yelled open shooter in, a, in an airport that wow wow yikes okay sam hauser's over there uh quick uh, pivot i's gonna be on you man uh draymond back tonight yes after missing 16 games so he'll go mm. against the grizzlies team that by the way in addition to john moran and marcus <laughs> smart and brandon clark and stephen yeah, adams is now without bad. desmond bain uh for six weeks what is your what are you looking for in the Draymond return? Do you care much about the basketball side and the Warriors side? Are you just like kind of waiting to see who pushes his buttons first? No, no, of course I'm, I'm look, I'm going to respect him like seriously as a basketball player, even though I feel like a lot of this year he hasn't respected himself seriously as a basketball player. But like we mentioned earlier, like the Raptors since the trade last seven games, they're 28th in defense. Detroit's 29th. Golden State's 30th. Like at minimum, Draymond comes back in and helps him with the defensive element. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. This is probably really difficult to salvage. We'll even see if he has a long-term future. I know that when uh, a friend of the program, Andy Liu, came on, he kind of even speculated that Draymond might have played for this last game for Golden State. So I mean, Draymond he... on his podcast said he yeah. was, like, really considering retiring, and yeah, Adam yeah. Silver kind of talked him out of it. Also, is that Adam Silver's role to come in and tell people not to retire? Like, Adam Silver, man, maybe chill a little bit, but... Um, Adam Silver didn't want to <laughs> deal with the cap headaches of like, how do we treat this salary cap wise? Like a guy getting yeah. a guy choking people out enough that he's he's retiring. He's like, yeah, you know, you're giving the league so much money with your fines that I actually don't want you to leave. That's a revenue source. It's driving the cap <laughs> higher by by the the clawback on on yeah. Draymond's. By the way, Golden State uh, eighteen and twenty one a game out of even the play in yeah. right now. So this is a huge one. Uh, for the, a yeah. huge one and a huge couple of ones coming up for them. Look, everyone knows I'm a I'm a, I'm a bit in the tank for the Warriors anyway, but just like yeah, I mean, come back, play professional basketball, and and even help Steph a little bit because Steph has had some really 
you know, up and down performances too. And I do feel like his two-man game with Draymond is like a huge part of what gets him going too. So I'm just excited to see if, uh, A, if he's going to play like non-punchy basketball and then B, like just come back and help uh, the Warriors. So. A good piece on Draymond's return by Kendra Andrews up at ESPN.com, by the way. I'm going to check that out. Okay. Well, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find The Raptor Show where you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please interview the show. Thanks once again to producer Mark Boffo. Uh, Blake Murphy, our board producer, Derek Brendale, Jennifer Olick, David says, Jared Manitai for helping us behind the scenes, Jared Weiss for joining us on the program. And uh, yeah, we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. Oh, and Lewis Aspen, sorry.